passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Raw. I'm John Pollock. He is Wei Ting, and you are here to listen to us talk about Raw, numbers, and tournaments in Japan. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I woke up today. I was excited to do uh, multiple shows today, and this is number two. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but that's... Oh, we'll see. Maybe maybe it'll be a con- constant thing. We, we, we shall see. How was your afternoon? It was fine. Yeah, I took a much needed nap in the uh, in uh, before RAW, and uh, and then I even had a coffee during RAW. So I'm good to go. That can be dangerous. The the, mm-hmm. the nighttime coffee. Nighttime coffee. I'm crazy. What you know? What, what can what can you say, man? It's a big evening. It is. We have a lot of uh, we have a lot of stuff to dive into, and. Off the top, I uh, want to make mention of what is coming up this week. It's a it's another busy week in the world of pro wrestling, and we have you covered. There is no Rewind to Dynamite on Wednesday, but Wednesday we have the B-Block Final. So if you are a post-wrestling cafe member, you will be getting a special bonus show on Wednesday, where I'm sure we'll do a lot of uh, catching up on news items that are uh, coming out over the next day or so. So you can look out for that. Thursday, a super show. On Thursday night, we will recap the G1 Finals, and Crown Jewel, which are airing almost back-to-back on Thursday morning slash afternoon. So your day can start at 5 in the morning, and you can just go. You can go until 3 o'clock in the afternoon with professional wrestling. So we will have a show Thursday night, usual, Rewind to SmackDown Friday night, and then Rewind to Dynamite will drop on Sunday this weekend as we chronicle another Saturday night Dynamite. Which I'm fine with. I'm fine with this little Saturday night uh, detour for Dynamite. As am I, yeah. For those of you who weren't aware, we did record a Dynamite review last night. So that's on the free feed if you just scroll below. Also, over this past weekend, we released the latest edition of WH Park's Long and Winding Royal Road. This was a quarterly biography series on one of the four pillars the final of the four pillars in Akira Taue, which WH did with uh, Dave Musgrave. So encourage everybody to check that out. Yes, always great shows uh, covering the various pillars. So Akira Taue, the latest on the docket for the two of them. Uh, also, uh, this weekend, want to make mention that on Sunday, not only will, be, will we be releasing Rewinded Dynamite, uh, but Davey Portman will be doing the Bound for Glory post-show 
alongside John Ceno. That will be out uh, early Sunday. It's going to be a late Bound for Glory because they are starting the pay-per-view at 10 o'clock Eastern that night to avoid running head-to-head with Dynamite. So <laughs> Saturday night, you can get five hours. Hell, you could get eight hours if you want to watch Nick Gage and Minoru Suzuki. You can just pile it all on. New Japan Strong, Ring of Honor this weekend. Just watch everything. Somebody mine, sure. So all of those uh, can be found, postwrestling.com. Check it all out. The G1 is coming to a close, and the, the contest is getting intense. The C-Block winner will be crowned this coming week. Yeah, I mean, you know, coming up into this B-Block final, I mean, it really is just coming down to Okada and Jeff Cobb, but all the other matches on the uh, on the on the show are basically just happening so that we can determine a winner of the G1 contest on uh postwrestling.com/g1 and it's it's still a race that i would say is heating up so uh, i look forward to seeing those results yes ghetto can still screw with our tournament so we have another another series of tournament matches still to go on wednesday but now it's time to get into the most civil discourse online that is pro wrestling viewership when two competing programs are airing at the same time and we have the numbers from friday this um a, a series of uh reporting today from we have the showbuzz daily charts we have brandon thurston as always uh the torch and dave Meltzer of the wrestling observer newsletter providing uh all angles of this Friday night war. So I want to refrain from just reciting like a million numbers here that no one is going to process. So we'll kind of go through these. So SmackDown for the two and a half hour block did 866,000 viewers, 314,000 in 18 to 49, which would be a 0.24. Rampage from 10 to 11 did 578,000 viewers. So number one, SmackDown and overall viewers, way more than Rampage, which we assumed overall viewership would be significantly in WWE's favor, and it was. 18 to 49, a .24, the exact same rating WWE posted for SmackDown, and it was broken down that SmackDown did 314,000, Rampage 313,000. Now, before we get into the 30-minute blockway, just that overall um, total, uh, how surprised were you that the 18 to 49 number was as close as it turned out being? Hmm. Um, I don't know if I was necessarily surprised. I think going into this weekend, that was going to be the tightest race. Um, I think there might have been a chance, you know, their their viewerships would have, I, I suppose, matched, but I personally felt like it was going to be 1849 that was going to be the most competitive and the fact that it, they were dead even practically is um there's a lot of information i think you can take from it you know i think we all maybe had our suspicions but now actually seeing in practice you have to look at this entire experiment and ask yourself you know if you're the wwe was this a battle worth fighting i don't know this the the analogy to me of Friday night was uh, this was Rocky one where the champion leaves with his title, but he was taken to the absolute limit by the challenger that I think they assumed was going to be greatly outmatched in WWE throwing all of this at them with a, a big SmackDown and and as we said like if you want to just take this as a, as a one off like. Looking at like a scoreboard, the larger picture here was that 
AEW was not only competitive, we're going to get into the 30-minute um, head-to-head battle, which is very favorable to AEW. But in the overall um, two and a half hours versus 60 minutes of AEW, they won in males 18 to 49 and adults 18 to 34. Um, th- this to me is, um, I- I'm not going to overstate what Friday is because I think that's the danger everyone's going to make of this number. But this was, uh, here is the competitor that is right on the heels of WWE and beat them in several key categories. And in the head-to-head, one yeah yeah in the head-to-head yeah um man today was uh very exciting i would say when these numbers came out there there was certainly an air of excitement we hadn't really felt since maybe some of the first weeks of that wednesday night war um but you can argue perhaps the stakes were even bigger this time around because it was wwe's a show um the circumstances are very different though of course it's it's not you know on fox it's moving up for one week only or at least a couple weeks only on a station that is uh slightly less you know in in fewer homes but um it there was an air of excitement certainly and i think with that same air of excitement came a lot of just oh man just i can't help it john i'm a fiend for these like comments i i do my best to try to try to stay away from twitter but like the moment i get in i love reading these comments and they're all just like what was the general sentiment like i i totally stay away from it i don't engage in any of it I mean, it's just exactly the type of tribalism you would expect, you know, like if you're for one team, you're arguing that, okay, well, you're arguing, well, look how much WWE won in overall viewers, you know, why don't older people uh, matter? Um, And if you're an AEW uh, supporter, I think you you point out, um, you know, where they win uh, accordingly. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to what the advertisers care about and what the networks care about. And from my understanding, at least, it is the 18 to 49 number that is most important. But um, it's, it's what everything is ranked at. Like when we say SmackDown is number one on a Friday night, we are not going by overall viewership. If we gauged SmackDown by overall viewership among the big four networks every Friday night, they are at the bottom, if not second lowest, most Fridays. But mm-hmm. instead, they rank usually number one, give or take whatever Shark Tank does on ABC. And typically, SmackDown is number one because we are going by that 18 to 49 number, which is exactly how these shows are measured. Yeah. You know, but that, I mean, this tribalism is, was actively... It's silly. Like, you can't get involved in this stuff. Is, and that's, fa- that's fans being fans. Like, that's, that comes with the territory. It, it's part of the fandom. And in this case, it was actively encouraged by Tony Khan via Twitter. I mean, you can argue, yes, WWE making the move in the first place, extending their show by a 30-minute commercial-free block was, was one of the first shots. But Tony Khan actively participating in encouraging and, and trash talking, you know, that I think obviously did a lot to fan the flames, which perhaps was did that help them. Did that help them? Like you have to look at it at both That's sides too. Like, it, yes, it, it invites all of that kind of um, ugliness, but at the same time, like as Tony Khan is kind of like pretty much stated outright, it's that there's an audience that wants this and this is going to raise the awareness mm-hmm. level, even if it's a toxic level of it, like that is going to fan the flames of what a lot of this audience wants is these two being cutthroat with one another. And at the end of that, I mean, the the the, the entity that benefits from it is going to be AEW. Simply being in the conversation of being a, a, an active the rising underdog is going to like that's a very galvanizing story for people that they can 
rally behind. Uh, and, I, and, I and when it's time to renegotiate those TV deals, that is the that is the end game, everybody. Like that that's what that's what we're, we're we're working towards. And you know, you can argue, yeah, maybe Tony knows exactly what he's doing by trying to fan these flames to get people talking about these two brands in the same conversation. So by the time when it's time to renew AEW's deal, they are going to get a competitive, similar rate to what WWE will likely get. Um, so that's the game. That's everything is towards that next deal that will be in hopes for AEW to have some transformative deal for this company that it's not so much like it's not to AEW's benefit that at the end of this, WWE is perceived as being undervalued. It's the idea that AEW is currently or sorry, that WWE is overvalued at what they're being paid rather than AEW being undervalued now. The hope is for the for the best thing for the industry is AEW gets something in the ballpark of WWE and you have two companies that are making money hand over fist. Uh if the if the television industry's conclusion is well look what AEW is doing at 175 million over 4 years, the end result is WWE should be making a lot less and that would be counter to every major sports rights fees that have come up Mm-mm. like the, the balloon is not bursting they i think are... wwe is going to get a sizable increase and i think AEW is on pace we cannot predict three years from now but AEW is on pace to get something significant in uh, above what they are at now i mean the more important metric is how wwe does in comparison to other competition not pro wrestling and they do very well and uh, AEW currently is doing very well too. So I, I, I mean, it, it'll probably be a substantial increase for for AEW, and I don't think a decrease at all for WWE. So ultimately, pro wrestling wins. Do you have any further uh, breakdown or insight into the breakdown of these numbers, John? Yeah, there's there's a few things here. So afterwards, we got the breakdown of like the actual thirty minute head to head portion where SmackDown was commercial free and Rampage, you remember, started off with the commercial free match with CM Punk and Matt Seidel. So during that 30 minute window, SmackDown did 878,000 viewers and 285,000 in 18 to 49 Rampage doing 602,000 viewers again, way less in overall viewers, but 328,000 in 18 to 49. So a, like a sizable, a topping of them in 18 to 49 and like the punk side L match, it did really well for AEW. And then you saw it go down. And a portion of that is that second quarter featured, like you had to make up for a lot of that commercial inventory that you got rid of in the first quarter and had to make up in the second. But uh, that that was where the drop comes in the, in the second hour or in the second quarter. And the peak for SmackDown uh, in both viewership in 18 to 49 was their fourth segment. So it was in the first hour, which was the segment that featured the DeVille and Baszler versus Naomi match, a hit row video and Seth Rollins coming out and a Sasha Banks promo. And that's right when the first hour ended. And then you had um, the nine to 10 hour. Do you have any opinion on what AEW's YouTube buy and show might have if at all contributed to uh I mean you, you look at you look at that where they hit they were up to like 943,000 viewers at the end of the first hour the buy in starts and it goes down but just looking at those live numbers and again I'm not an expert on YouTube's calculations and such I just can't see how the buy in made um a gap like 
SmackDown fell like 8% in viewers uh, when the buy-in began. And I just can't look at the buy-in with those numbers that they were doing, making that big of a dent in SmackDown. We also, of course, had sports competition. That's right. We also had the, the Major League Baseball game and college football was going on at the same time. So this was hardly a competition-free night for either side. And I would say for SmackDown, um, they've run on FS1 three times. The last one was in December, and they were they were they that one was over a million that they did on FS1. But a year ago, comparing it to Major League Baseball, it was pretty damn close to what they did a year ago when they moved to FS1 without having to go against another wrestling product. So it was a fairly even comparison year to year going against Major League Baseball in the month of October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, to me, like the big story, in my opinion, coming out of this is the fact that this was a 30-minute commercial-free block of WWE A-list programming with their biggest stars. And, you know, CM Punk on, on Rampage, I think, is a pretty big big deal. And that largely went uninterrupted for 20 minutes. But it was an otherwise pretty standard edition of Rampage. And um, they matched. You know, They, they certainly least, can't they say that they threw all this stuff. Like, they kept their card that they had mm-hmm. booked. Um, they did add the buy-in stuff. But, again, I don't know how much the buy-in really made a big difference on Friday night other than your existing audience got a kick-ass match um, to set up Rampage. But I, I would say, like, this was... I, I think everyone is going to now shift its focus to October 29th when SmackDown is back on FS1 with the World Series on Fox. And currently, they have Talking Smack listed in the FS1 slot from 10 to 11. Now, one hour instead of one hour. hour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One hour of Talking Smack. So, I mean, in theory, they can do whatever they want if they have that slot. If I'm looking at these numbers, um, I mean, do you you see WWE at all um, toying with this again in two weeks time? That's a great question. I, you know, the, I think a good question is whether or not they decided to do this half hour head to head. What would we be talking about today? We would still be making comparisons between, you know, what SmackDown does on FS1 versus what Rampage does on, on TNT, even if they weren't going head to head. The fact that they did, they did go head to head in AW1, at least in the demo, pretty handily, um, just kind of creates an extra talking point. But mm-hmm. we, if they don't go head to head, then we will actually have, you know, uh, just a comparison between SmackDown on FS1, FS1 versus Rampage on TNT. And either way, um, if results are similar, I think it can potentially be uh, as big of a similar talking point as we are having right now between the two. Um, And I just don't know if there's a way for like WWE to fight that battle. I think people are going to watch Rampage regardless. um, And people who watch SmackDown are going to watch SmackDown. They threw their biggest shots on, on this past Friday and a half hour commercial free with Roman Reigns, Brock and Sasha and Becky um, I just don't really know what type of different result they would expect if they did it again. Yeah, I, and a big part of this is also like the perception that you are inviting. Like for any entertainment television reporters that really dig into these numbers, there's a there's a fantastic story to be told from these numbers on Friday night, and it only follows upon what we have seen. You know, Variety just had that piece as well. Like the story. That is out there in the mainstream television world is that there is a, com- a new competitor on the block that is 
being that's coming very close to WWE's top programming. And this to me only encourages that kind of a story. And when you're talking about the larger perception issue, that's what AEW is fighting towards. When mm-hmm. when Nick Khan was being asked about the potential of you know rights fees and such, his theory after the pandemic was that the the top leagues, the ones that have that existing base they're going to do fine. It's the middle class that are going to get hurt. And if his prognostication is going to be accurate, your goal is to keep AEW as far away from becoming anything close to the brand name in professional wrestling that it's seen as any kind of close neighbor to WWE. And in the grand scheme of things, they are in completely different worlds when it comes to financially. But in the television world, where they live and die by these numbers every week, it's becoming a very competitive race. And I think this is extra bullets in the ammunition of AEW when they are going into meetings, when they are going into speak to advertisers, and they can put this data from Friday. I think it reflects very favorably on what they can do competitively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, their competition is also in um, their talent pool that they can pull from as well. Um you know, and in particular, of course, you know, the 18 to 49 demo and in particular males who are growing increasingly tired of this product that are finding a, a, a migrating home in AEW. Do you have any comment on perhaps um, some of the other demographics that, AEW, you know, WWE seems to be doing well in? So from Friday, um, just looking at this. So we went over like 18 to 49 where SmackDown edged them out by a thousand viewers uh, women 18 to 49, and this is for the entirety of both shows. Women 18 to 49, SmackDown 1. Men 18 to 49, that was won by Rampage. Adults 18 to 34, this was really interesting. Rampage beat them by 10,000 viewers. In men 18 to 34, it was dead even at 71,000 viewers. And these are all from um, Brandon Thurston, who tabulates these uh, demos every single week. It's a um, beautiful For charts. his patrons. It's, it's an essential tool for anyone doing this kind of work. But yeah, dead heat between uh, men 18 to 34. Uh, in women 18 to 34... Rampage actually beat SmackDown, and it's not often that we look at the female comparisons and see it in AEW's favor. Um, adults 18 to 34, that was a WWE win, although men was in eight was with AEW, women with uh, SmackDown on Friday. So that's kind of some of the, the big breakdowns there, but it was uh, a better performance on the female side than typical for AEW. Like, they... They saw big increases this week, which is semi-misleading because they're also coming off uh, their all-time low for Rampage last week. So you not only it, it was just it was a large increase over a kind of bottoming out number last week, but I, I would say like they they overperformed what I expected because that was it was a cold week that they were coming off of, and SmackDown had been loaded up. Um, so I, I would say that they they definitely performed higher than I anticipated going in. I did not think it was going to be as close and AEW outright winning some of these, these categories. Did you have any thoughts on this potentially scandalous story about these fast nationals? I mean, it's, it, it's been discussed. Like I've, I've, I've heard from people privately, like about this and such that, you know, for several weeks now, the, the fast nationals have been, been coming out. And this past weekend, the fast nationals came out and it was just, 
the overall viewership and did not include 18 to 49. And, and so, so just just to catch some 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 of our audience up, I mean, the Fast Nationals are almost like they're like the overnight ratings. It's it's kind of taking like your your top you know metered markets, and then you're kind of extrapolating before the final numbers are out. It's monitoring certain um, cer- certain um, areas of the country before everything is tabulated. Like like almost a preview of the official exactly. Numbers. It's you know you, when you know. On election night, when sixty percent of uh, ridings have reported, and exactly, it's a projection. I I have like a rule that I just I don't go with the fast nationals. I just wait till the final number. I just don't see this exercise of putting out a story and then you're putting updated numbers in several days later. That's just mine. It's that's my kind of rule of thumb with that. But this weekend, like you just saw the overall viewership come out. And I think you can see what is at play here. Like that reads very well to WWE. And when we talked about this on Sunday, it was like, we don't know the 18 to 49 numbers, which is, I think going to be the greatest numbers that are, that weight is placed upon. And we don't know as well, like how the 30 minutes performed against each other. We have a much clearer view today than just going over like overall viewership comparisons um, that does not tell the story of Friday night. No. Uh, and again, you know, what what is most important to the broadcaster and to the advertisers? Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom. So the insinuation that, that seems to be going around is that somebody out there would have would be leaking these fast national numbers. And for some reason this week, specifically omitting the prime demo in these leaks and uh uh, there, uh, people have their suspicions of who, of who is doing this this potential leaking, but I don't know if it's something we'll ever get to the bottom of. But it it is an interesting wrinkle in this story. Which I mean, you can look at that, but it's like from from the perspective of a reporter, it's like your your job is not to figure out the motivation behind why someone is giving you information. Your job is to verify that what you are reporting is accurate. Hmm. There may be. Um, of course there, there's going to be times that sources come to you and they have a motivation for why a story is going to get out. It is your job to just verify that you cannot control how the message is received, just that the message is accurate. So as long as the fast nationals are accurate, it is fair game. And it's like, you can't, um, you, you can't be playing judge on what the motivation is, uh, to put these out. But at the same time, like you can see what, what games are being played. Um, I think that's, that's going to be part of this. Like this, this is two companies that are at war with one another, and there's going to be lots of tricks out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's 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 honestly a, um, a war that is uh, fascinating. I mean, it's a war that has been going on, but it's really heating up now because we are seeing you know WWE take their A properties now to compete against. Well, in this case, like you know um, AEW's B property, but it's it's a head to head competition nonetheless. So uh, we'll see what the next chapter may be. The last thing on this, as we look at October 29th, um, if you are Tony Khan, how are you booking that show? Is it just business mm-hmm. as usual? This will also be a case where you will not have the benefit of a live rampage that night. It will be a taped edition. And do you, like, how do you look at that night and not think that there is a chance that you could have? SmackDown competition against you? Like, how do you book that episode? Or is Friday night a strong evidence of keep booking the show the way you're doing it? And 
put as strong a show as you can, but don't don't go out of your your wheelhouse just because it may be a heavier competitive night than than it is right now as we're speaking. I I think if I'm Tony Khan, I'm looking at this week as uh you know like the drip of blood in the water, and I'm going to like it's not going to be often i think where you where you'll be placed into these sort of head-to-head conversations with the wwe and if your goal is to make headlines to continue to put aew in that same conversation i think you put your best foot forward now i'm not saying like you know kenny omega hangman page like on that show but i think you have an uh, an elevated higher more you know interesting than usual edition of rampage just to really give yourself the best chance because whether or not they go head-to-head we will be comparing those numbers on monday after that and they I mean, they did very well with CM Punk against Matt Seidel, which Mm -hmm. is not an opponent that's going to jump off the the screen at people, and Ruby Soho and The Bunny. uh, As well, like when you look at the whole show, they were also going against a replay of SmackDown on FS1 because they replayed it immediately after. So it was, you still did have SmackDown competition for that 1030 to 11 spot uh, as well on top of it. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That That is a big breakdown of... Friday night's viewership, and on on Tuesday, we'll have not just the raw numbers, but we'll also have a Dynamite from Saturday night, which I think will have a little less fanfare than Friday night's numbers. A bit less, yeah. So uh, quickly here, we did the whole show today on the A-Block final, but in a nutshell, Kota Bushi won the A-Block, defeating Kenta today, and your final... A block standings. This is how everything sh- shook out with Kota Bushi going to the finals for the fourth consecutive year with 14 points, beating Shingo Takagi, who finished with 13, Kenta and Zack with 12, Toriano, Tomihiro Ishii tying with 10, Great Okan with 8, Tangaloa 6 points, Yujiro 5, and Tetsuya Naito 0. Way, as we looked at this A block and they had the curveball of losing Naito, but this was the block that uh, certainly I think had the most. Uh, exciting matchups on paper how would you assess the the a block performance i think better than expected yeah uh, i would say the same for b block as well i would say you know expectations going to this g1 i think people were not um anticipating very much at all i remember when when these rosters were announced and specifically with b block everybody was really dreading it um but a block too um you know with names like yujiro and Tangaloa attached to it. I, in Yujiro's case, I think those um, criticisms were very much warranted. But people like Tangaloa, people like Tamatanga, and Chase Owens, I think, have actually really impressed in the G1. Um, and, you know, for the most part, the quality of, of what New Japan has been able to offer for these shows was very much maintained, with most of these shows offering at least one or two matches um, of the week, I would say. That I would at least recommend, you know, for people to check out if they're into the quality and the standard that New Japan has 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 been offering. Freshness of matchups and anticipation for the matchups and the star power for these matchups is a very different story. But in terms of pure match quality, I thought this block delivered. Yeah, I think whatever you lost with Naito, you certainly gained with... I mean, everyone has an expectation of what Zack Sabre Jr. is going to do, but he he definitely outperformed the field. I, I just think he is, um, he's my G1 MVP thus far. We do still have two shows to go and maybe someone will uh, usurp him, but um, he was masterful throughout this past month. And I think he was really uh, in, in a block with Tomohiro Ishii that I think mm-hmm. um, that's pretty high bar to achieve. I think Zach did it. 
in particular with his style. I mean, Zach is always incredibly consistent, even through these G1s. But because he works such a technical style, I think we tend to favor the types of matches like, you know, an Ishii or a Shingo Takagi will wrestle, where that's just totally exhausting, full of very stiff striking. Zach doesn't really do that style. And as a result, it's, you know, he we kind of have a peak coffee rating for a Zach match. But this year, like he managed to work that style so incredibly well. And it's also a case where I think having a quiet crowd doesn't necessarily hinder his style as much as it, it does the others. Um, but his matches have all been fantastic. Even a match against Toriano was interesting in its own way. So if you're going to watch, follow anybody's journey through this G1, it would be Zach's. AAA held their press conference today for their December 4th card in Monterey that they are billing, like they're branding this as like a second triple mania this year. So they announced Kenny Omega versus El Hijo del Vikingo for the mega heavyweight title, which is going to be tremendous. And a six-man tag with Psycho Clown, Pagano, and Cain Velasquez against Rey Escorpion, Taurus, and a mystery partner. And... I will not be the first one to suggest it because it was out there immediately, <laughs> Way Will we get the meeting of two former UFC heavyweight champions in Monterey? <laughs> Jeez, wow. Um, where where have they uh, fought? Where where were they, the places where they fought? Are you talking about JDS? JDS, yes. Yeah, where did they fight before? Their first fight was in... It was on the, on the Fox premiere in Anaheim. Their second fight was in Vegas. And their third fight was in Houston. Oh, okay. Well, very good, Sean, by the way. Uh, that was a quick test, and the man did not have to resort. Only the, the Wikipedia in his head did, did this man have to resort to. Um, well, I mean, I don't know what the sea level is like in, in Monterey, but um, you can, you know, we wonder if Kane will be at, at, at his best Maybe level. Maybe they'll bring in Verdum um, to face sea level Kane. At this level? Are you ki- at this point, are you kidding me? I think the entire, like, that is the path of a UFC heavyweight, okay? You win the title, you maybe kind of, you know, peter out. Get out of MMA and you get right into professional wrestling. The precedent has been set. Uh, and Dorian Roldan uh, stated that the Lucha Brothers and Dragon Lee and Dralistico will be on the card, maybe with FTR. These notes coming from a Lucha blog uh, and the Cubs fan, um, who may be the distributor of this, uh, this pay-per-view on Twitch. Because AAA still does not have a way to actually stream these shows into the U.S. Um, amazingly. But th- this is like very confusing because... <laughs> You had the Lucha Brothers retain their titles last weekend uh, against Laredo Kid and Vikingo. And then you have Dragon Lee and Dralistico appear and challenge them. And now the Lucha Brothers have lost the AAA tag titles. So it's like you've shot this angle and now you have new champions. And our announcement today was maybe with FTR on this show. So it seems like this card is very much a work in progress. And unless uh, Dorian Roldan is seen at a sidelines of a football game, we may not know the card until... uh, well, closer to December 4th. Well, maybe you'll get the Super Ranas show up. <laughs> Technically, they're the champions, not FTR. And that's you true. Have, you have that's anybody true. show up in those costumes. That's yeah, right. there's something super fishy about, I think, the way that whole thing unfolded. That I, I don't know if necessarily tells me that that was the original plan. But Kenny hmm. Omega and El Hill dump the Kingo. That yeah. is going to have a ton of interest. Um, it's going to put the uh, the Cubs fans' Twitch uh, demand to, to the limit, I think. I I don't know if there's a, a limit to to Twitch, but yeah, good for the Cubs fans. That's a lot of pressure. Well, I I trust Twitch's servers to be, but yeah, how, how is his? What if his computer like craps out in the middle of it, or what if he has internet issues? That'd be terrible for Triple It's it's a uh, it's quite the quite, pay- quite the predicament. But hey, he's uh 
better, he's better. kind of fallen into this role. Well, thank goodness. Thank goodness that we have this. Because, you know, Vikingo is arguably the, the most jiffable wrestler right now. And I think for a lot of people, this will really boost his um, uh, exposure being in a match with Kenny Omega. So I'm looking forward to that one for sure. And uh, just finishing off here, we've got uh, quick quick notes. NXT on Tuesday night will have Tommaso Ciampa and Braun Breaker against the Grizzled Young Vets. A triple threat involving a member of each team that are in the tag title three-way at Halloween Havoc. So a member of Io Shirai and Zoe Stark, Indy Hartwell and Portia Parada, Way's favorite, and Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. Andre Chase versus Odyssey Jones and Tony D'Angelo in action. But the headline way is that Halloween Havoc will now feature an appearance by Chucky. I mean, it really is perfect, isn't it? Welcome and, to the new NXT. <laughs> and was not Rick Steiner not a part of that original sketch? Yes. If there ever there was a time... Unfortunately, if Rick Steiner shows up, no one would know what his connection is to NXT 2.0. Yeah, he'd be... Um, uh, Rick Breaker. <laughs> Could you imagine? Rick, it's Rick Breaker. Yeah, no, he'd be It's brick. the dog face Breaker. Probably <laughs> <laughs> Brick Breaker. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun you could have, sure. And uh, Bound for Glory has uh, sold out Sam's Town Live for uh, this Saturday night's pay-per-view. Um, mm-hmm. so there you good go. They will, be, they will be there three straight nights. I'm looking forward to this show. It's a, it's a good card. Christian Cage and Josh Alexander is the main event. They've done a really good buildup with Deanna Perrazzo and Mickey James. It looks like a, a very good card. And, you know, filling uh, Sam's Town live before the arrival of Minoru Suzuki next week. Wow, crazy. Amazing. And uh, as you mentioned... Davey and Cena will be doing that? Correct. Yes. That show will be out Sunday with a whole post show uh, covering Bound for Glory. But now we are bound for Raw from Sacramento, California at the Golden One Center. This season finale of Raw way because next week will be the season premiere. It's kind of, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. So what are we, do, what are, what are we going to do now? We're off season. Does it mean like we get to take a vacation? Yeah. They're all we... going on a uh, all expenses paid vacation to Saudi Arabia. Uh, that is right. Sure. They're getting some time off this week. Charlotte comes out to start the show and asks where the roster is for her big farewell when she goes to SmackDown. She runs down Bianca Belair and calls it a conspiracy that she has to defend the title against Belair. Charlotte uh, is confronted by Bianca, who is informed, you won't even go here anymore, which th- this line has certainly been exhausted. I get it. It's the catchphrase, but it's we got it. Maybe, you know, on the main roster, she hasn't used it all that much. So maybe it deserves repeating a couple more times before they put it on the T-shirt. Well, Bianca says that she can say goodbye to the Raw women's title and then go on. She starts going on about life, giving you trials and tribulations. Maybe Charlotte could be a bit kinder. The crowd is dead for this. And she says she will take the title at Crown Jewel and then become a double champion after winning tonight. How is that for a rookie? Charlotte, this is a very long promo, and it um, it was a WWE promo. And Flair goes to attack her and escaped a KOD and got knocked off the apron to end our opening segment. I mean, I found it pretty typical, you know, of a WWE opening segment, just there to kind of promote the main event between the two participants. And delivery to me seemed perfectly adequate. In fact, I enjoyed Charlotte's promo. And... Bianca Were you Belair. as behind Bianca to win this title as Hangman Page? 
Did this inspire um, your what confidence? You oh, like after the page. Promo. This was to get you ready for her going for the big championship. How did she do? It's it's a very different case, of course. But I, I will say, I think Bianca still comes across as very charismatic, very likable. And I, I think she's also a very, like, she's a baby face character that's working well. My favorite, Kevin Patrick meets up with the New Day. We didn't get too much Kevin Patrick on this show. But... He goes up to Xavier Woods. He's about to have his King of the Ring semifinal. Xavier, how big of an opportunity is this for you? It's big, Kevin. It's big. Because if I win, I advance. And if I lose, I don't. So it's big. And he mentions past kings like Ken Shamrock and Booker T. A rare time Ken Shamrock has been brought up on WWE programming. And Mabel. Don't forget King Mabel. Oh, did he mention Mabel too? Yeah. All the greats, yes. They plug next week's uh, show being the season premiere in Houston. So there you, you there you have it. The city that got Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos 3, also getting the season premiere of Raw. So it's all set up. Perfect. Woods and Jinder Mahal. Winner gets to go face Finn Balor. Mahal sends Woods over the corner, onto the steps. They go through a break. Woods fights off the Coloss and then gets caught with... Uh, Caught with the Coloss and then grabs the bottom rope. Woods then headbutts Mahal off the turnbuckle, scales the top, elbow drop, and finishes Jinder Mahal for the win. The crowd was genuinely happy here. It's like, wait a minute, we all wanted this guy to win, and he won? And Woods celebrated by putting on the cape, holding up the scepter, and the announcers state that this is really tempting fate, as they call it bad luck. So we will get Xavier Woods and Finn Balor for the crown. Yeah, I... You know, every one of these Woods matches, I have kind of picked him to lose. And it goes against, I think, traditional pro wrestling booking. Of course, you put so much TV time on the baby face, they're probably going to win. Not in this company. No I mean, way. This is the complete <laughs> opposite. It's like, wait a minute. We want this too much. <laughs> this is too good to be true. Yeah. So every time he wins, I'm like, I'm actually <laughs> surprised. I thought that this was going to be the swerve. But it, it, thus far, it has seemed like a pretty straightforward babyface push for Xavier Woods. So are you going out on a limb to no, believe? not that the, at all. Okay, now, no, it's, gonna now he gets payback. <laughs> yeah, he's going to lose. <laughs> but in this case, I mean, yeah, pretty effective WWE match overall. Uh, Woods in ring, I think he... He, what he got do? all the way across the ring with that elbow. Mm-hmm. He's looking very good and, and certainly has the crowd behind him. And this was the end of Jinder Mahal, Veer, and Shanky. Oh, you're right. They're breaking the up. Didn't get any kind of send-off, nothing. Jinder will be with Veer? Is that right? Uh, he'll be with Shanky on SmackDown. Shanky, okay. So Veer will Veer be, will be here, and I imagine Veer is going to get a push, it would seem like. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. At least the start of one. We will see if the, we get the remainder of one. Austin Theory is on his phone. He has asked, what did it mean to beat Jeff Hardy? He says, I used to look up to Jeff. But last week, I was looking down on Jeff. And then Reggie and the geeks run through. Reggie is hiding but gets caught by R-Truth. And Theory gets involved. And he asks R-Truth if he knows who he is. And R-Truth answers, a theorist. And Truth issues a challenge if Austin can get permission from his mommy to stay up late. And the announcers gave the fakest laugh at this lame joke. Mm, yeah. So, I mean, his... His gimmick is that he's young. His gimmick is Paige Van Zant, the male version. Well, the, pa- the, the selfie taker. Yes, he's younger than Paige, right? 
Paige is like 26, 27. Oh, wow. So wow. Austin Theory is definitely... How old's Austin Theory? 24. Okay. So he's a bit wow. younger. She's done a lot. She's been fighting in UFC. She started in UFC like 2014. So she's been around... 2014. So wait a second. She's 26 now. She started when she was 19. 19 or 20? That sounds about right. What? That's crazy. Let's see her. Uh, I've got the age right here. 20, 27. Wow. Amazing. There's a big... Uh, so Austin Theory and Jeff Hardy takes place uh, because our truth comes out and stating when you accepted the challenge, it was for my friend, not me. So Jeff takes the match. Dude, no matter how much they beat this guy, he's still one of the most over baby faces. And it's it really was the last pay-per-view where the audience got so into him and it's just continued each week. And there's no rhyme or reason for it. It's not like they're doing anything with Jeff, but this crowd, they love Jeff Hardy. I, I really do consider him a legitimate superstar. You know, one of the one of arguably your more recognizable names uh, in the WWE currently. And they don't really see him as an active guy that they want to push. And in fact, because he keeps getting these reactions, they probably see it as justification for how we can continue to beat him with our younger guys. Um, but, you know, you know the story. It's like, you know, once you're past a certain age, you're in this company, unless you have reached a certain star level. And unfortunately, they don't, they don't consider Jeff at, at that level. Well, but this is he- the perfect example of someone on the young side and someone on the old side and what mm-hmm. they're trying to do here. Although the ending of this, it's, it's kind of, you know, this kind of 50, 50 thing. So theory does Hardy's mannerisms and the crowd is just this asshole. How dare you? He yanks Hardy on the edge and then hits a neck breaker on the floor. Hardy responds with a poetry in motion into the barricade and then goes for the swanton, but it gets stopped and theory knocks him off balance and hits the ATL, which has, is not identified as such on Raw yet, and pins Jeff clean. He takes a selfie on his back next to Jeff, who then gets up, makes his comeback, hits the twist of fate, and takes his own selfie with Austin Theory, which this just felt kind of like, well, we're going to give you a win over Jeff Hardy, but then we're going to immediately take it back afterwards. So I don't know if really anything was accomplished here other than, well, we don't want to beat Jeff too much, but... We also want to push Austin. I think it's their way of trying to push Austin ultimately, but not to completely devalue Jeff Hardy as he moves on to SmackDown. Um, it's you know it's a case of fifty fifty, but I I do feel like it, it was more so maybe seventy thirty here because Theory got a very clean win over an established star, and going forward can you know claim that he beat Jeff Hardy twice, and, and he has in, the selfies to prove it. In theory. This is the end of this. This was yeah. the climax. This was the end of the feud. Okay. Biggie and Drew meet backstage. Drew said that he just saw Red last week and hit the Claymore. He's sorry. Biggie's sorry. He shouldn't have tagged in. It was a mistake. So Biggie suggests that tonight we coexist <laughs> and then we can fight on Thursday. And then he did his intro right into Drew's face. So they're back together for the third week in a row. They're basically a formed tag team now. It's like a rom-com. You know, will they or won't they? And of course, we all want to see them get together at the end. DeVille and Pierce met with Charlotte. She asks, she was never asked if she wanted to defend her title against Bel Air. She has no farewell. And she made this title relevant. I smell a conspiracy. Sonya says, it makes perfectly logical sense. 
for the SmackDown talent that has not started here on Raw yet to get a title match immediately. And Flair's like, oh, fine. She'll remain the Raw champion, she says. Biggie and Drew versus Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. I have still yet to check on the status of Ziggler and Roode. I think they're on SmackDown, but they equally could be on Raw. So Biggie and Drew are getting along, and Biggie knocks Ziggler off the apron while he's in with Roode, but then misses a splash as they get the heat on E for a long time. That sets up Drew for the hot tag. Belly to bellies all around. Kip up. He does an inverted Alabama slam, sending Ziggler on top of his partner. And then Drew gets shoved towards E, but he holds up so he doesn't knock him over. So Ziggler pulls E to the floor. Rude takes over. They do an elevated assisted Famouser, but Drew that, fights up. That thing looked awesome. I don't the know if they've, done, I don't know if yeah. they've done, that, done, done that before, but man, like... I know this team doesn't win too often, but whenever they're they a do, good team, they're just, it's just, they're slotted. That's their biggest oh, yeah. negative, but they're a great team. Like they work very well together. I mean, they're Rude sort is of... sound Ziggler, like guy doesn't screw up. Like it's, they're, they're a perfectly reliable tag team. I think it's just, everyone sees them in the spot that they're, they're never going to go down, but they're never going to go up. I mean, their purpose is there to basically give wins to, you know, which, whichever baby face act you are uh, pushing and they can both promo. So they always manage to get heat, but man, I love this. Like, you know, it was a basically like a, like a, like a, like a backdrop into an, an elevated famous or I thought it looked mm-hmm. great. What happened to big Bob? Who? They didn't run with that big Bob. Remember? Oh, right. Big Bob. I thought they were going to make a thing out of that. Yeah. Went nowhere. Uh, Anyway, Drew fights them off. Biggie returns to the apron. He gets the tag in the honest way and hits the big ending. Pins rude. The two men are existing in each other's presence. But then Biggie turns around to catch Drew. They awkwardly shake hands. But then they start trading words and getting upset. And Biggie says, I never want to be you. And he can't wait for Crown Jewel as he holds up the belt. So... You have the two rivals going into the match on Thursday. Yeah, and over the past few weeks, I feel like they've done a, a decent job of having these two kind of dance around each other, interacting with each other in these <laughs> forced tag team situations. Um, I, I can't really say it's a feud that's ever gotten all too personal. The most I really felt for it was hearing Drew talk about how he still hasn't had his wrestle or his big you know title moment in front of a crowd yet. And like, I, I would have loved to have heard maybe a few more promos that kind of dug a little bit deeper to really heat the feud up. Instead, it's just been kind of weeks of like, you stole the, you stole my pin in a tag team match. That means nothing. Shit. All right. You can have it back this week. Um, it's fine. It puts them on the screen and reminds us of the match, but, um, I don't, I don't know if it gets me personally that invested, but I'm sure the match. Could you imagine getting so angry over such a, such an affront? Maybe maybe they get paid more if they actually get the pinfall. I don't think that's how tag matches work. Yeah, maybe not. You hmm. get the win. The Street Profits are back on Raw. They're here to plug Crown Jewel. And they state that AJ Styles is the kid in the group project at school that does no work, but still gets an A. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what the character is. Uh, and he's fine at it because, like, you know, he's he's so funny. But, man, I hate the fact that it's AJ Styles in this role. Styles and Omos walk in and AJ calls them dorks. Omos says Raw is his house. AJ corrects him and says it's their house. The Prophets leave. AJ says they have a real dumb name. 
And Omos just says, really dumb. Hmm. Oh, it's it's a great name. The Street Profits. Yeah, like P-R-O-F-I-T-S. Mansoor and Cedric Alexander. This was short. Alexander hit a suplex and backbreaker and then was caught with a -a tilt-a-whirl to an inverted DDT and did a slingshot to a neckbreaker. 342. Mansoor wins. Mustafa Ali comes out calling him a fanboy. And he is going to wipe the smile off Mansoor's face in his hometown and everyone's face that shows up at the show as well. That's a lot of smiles he is going to take off of people's faces on Thursday. Mansoor tells him to shut the hell up. Look at me. I said, look at me, you piece of trash. I'll be smiling after I beat you senseless and prove that you are a sorry, cowardly excuse for a man. And then addressed him in Arabic to end the, the segment. Yeah, yeah. The first time we've heard that, on, uh, at least, you know, stateside. He, you know, he's a great promo, Mansoor. Showed great fire here. And, you know, I guess for the first time really in his WWE run, actually has some material to get, like, angry about. So um, they, didn't, I, they didn't go all the way with him. They, they, he wasn't allowed to call him. I said, look at me, you piece of shit. We got we got some uh, s bombs on the show for sure. Yeah, they, they've they've got a quota of one per show that they yeah. can utilize. <laughs> yeah, so you know this feels like it's a pretty generic effort at like building a team that can or can't get along. Turns out they can't get along, so now you have a tag team match or, or a singles match heading into Saudi Arabia. I don't really think it's a program that's been that effective at you know making Mansoor a standout star at all. Um, but you know, but he will be received like one Saudi Arabia, no doubt. And this, you know, promo in Arabic at the end, I'm I'm sure like did a whole lot for him. Do they, I think it'd be a big mistake to throw this on the kickoff. I think this should be on the main show. I think it'll be a peak of the show. Like, I think it could be too. Like there was the year he, I think it was the year he faced Cesaro Uh, and believe me, it was a crowd that was not into any of the matches. So it's not like they, uh, it was a high bar, but man, it was night and day the reaction that that match got versus anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's the hometown guy on your big show. So I, I I definitely can see it closer to the middle. Maybe, maybe even a starting match, but I would say middle. So on Peacock, there is a top chef spinoff called family style. And we have a WWE edition featuring Naomi, the Miz, Maurice and Drew McIntyre. That almost makes me wish we had access to this, but not really. Yeah. Okay. What will? So what will they be doing? Will they be joining them? Will they be? T- they'll be tasting the food. They'll be the probably. Yeah, maybe they're the judges. I see. Who do you think would be the best cook among them? The best cook. Um. I don't think the Miz would be a good cook. That would be my guess. Yeah, I don't know. Not really sure. I mean, um, Maurice has children, so I I, I don't know if that's um, if that helps or not. But who's taking care of the children? Who's doing the cooking? Maybe he's doing the cooking because that could be. uh, I am. uh, It could be the miss. Maybe Drew will surprise a lot of people with his culinary skills. He could definitely. um, He knows his way around a knife. Exactly. Yes. Then we had the first ever no-holds-barred interview. 
is this really a first effort? I don't recall ever hearing a no holds barred interview. So no wrestling holds are <laughs> illegal here. Anything goes in separate rooms uh, via satellite holy. between Bill Goldberg. Why didn't they call this a no words barred interview? Well, I mean, you sometimes. Hey, in, uh... asshole. <laughs> I'm going to fucking kill you. Well, sometimes in mid interview, you might want to put on a hammer lock. So. They have just gone so far. The The story here is that Lashley has caused problems to Goldberg's son. So Bill is coming to kill Lashley. And they that is the story. And he is literally out to kill the man. Lashley calls this nonsense. Said, that's also criminal for you to try to kill me. Just so you know, I could call the authorities and have you apprehended. It's like, <laughs> this is, like, evidence. This would be Exhibit A if a trial were ever to arise over the death of Bobby Lashley, that this man did threaten to kill you on national television. He asks Bill how your son feels about all this. Goldberg tells him to pick his words carefully because I'll just make you suffer more. Bobby says you can't kill the Almighty. And Bill ends by saying, safe travels, kill you Thursday, Bobby. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, yeah, they they're really going all in with this uh killing stuff ahead of this uh Saudi show. It's um Yeah, I mean What can you say? What can you say? Exactly. Yeah. I I will well I what I will say is that I feel like this was some I mean, if we're strictly looking at it from a tra- pro wrestling trash talking standpoint, I think Lashley has been really good this month speaking for himself without MVP. He has really impressed me. But Goldberg, I thought in here, I mean, depending on your taste level for this type of talk, I thought he was fantastic. You know, the way he comes across in these really makes you believe in the Goldberg character and makes you forget about, you know, recent lackluster in-ring performances. When he is talking, his charisma, his intensity is still every bit Goldberg. So he, I, I enjoy him in these a lot. Randy Orton and Riddle are in the back. Riddle thought Orton was so convincing last week about not having a plan when he clearly did. Deep in his heart, he knew Randy had a plan. Orton says there was never a plan. Riddle goes on about how the Street Profits want the smoke. It's given him many ideas. What's the plan tonight? Orton says it's to win. Let's go get some smoke. We had videos throughout the night for all the talent that's coming to Raw that you've seen on Raw plenty of times. So it will be a, a shock to the system next week. Randy Orton and Riddle against the, the Street the Profits. The best headline was Bearcat Lee claws his way back to Raw next week. Claws his way. Yes. I can't wait. Uh, non-title match here. for the. This is the, the whole tag division we, we had out here because AJ and Omos got involved. And presumably these three will be feuding over the titles for eternity. Um, Montez Ford looked really good in here. I could see him and Randy having some singles matches down the road at some point, and they look very promising. Riddle delivered this spinning gut wrench. Uh, Ford made the tag to Dawkins, who came in with his usual great hot tag. He did a double underhook slam. Riddle came back with the ripcord knee, and then Orton and Ford are in. Randy hits him with the power slam, and dude, Montez Ford sells this power slam like Rock taking a stunner. It was insane. He takes a draping DDT, and as Randy is setting up for the RKO, AJ's music plays, but only Omos walks out. 
Orton turns around and there's AJ to hit the phenomenal forearm for the DQ. Omos chokeslams Riddle on the apron and then military presses Ford. And the crowd was was upset at this. And if nothing else, this was an excuse for us all to see AJ's brand new t-shirt. Phenomenally done. Colossally won. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Talk about a mouthful. I would never <laughs> say nor where and tell people, look, guys, phenomenally done, colossally won. Dude, is colossally even a word? <laughs> I, I'm, I know. This what is stretching me. grammatical acceptance to the limits here. But um, there you go. Yeah, I mean, they continue to heat up these programs between AJ and Almas against these two new rivals, or at least one new rival, rival in the Street Profits. Um, I'm curious to know like how long they're going to keep RK Bro together. I think there's still so much life in in the in the feud, but or sorry, in the in the pair that um, I probably wouldn't break them up. You know, can you see them switching the titles? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Eh. What difference yeah. does it make? We also had uh, Omos with the karate kick to uh, Randy's shoulder. The roundhouse, yes. The roundhouse. Yeah. I think uh, I think they're doing a good job of building and protecting Omos, you know, to, to feel like a big deal. And I think he'll get a nice reaction in Saudi Arabia. Queen's Crown semifinal, Shayna Baszler and Dewdrop. Dewdrop calls Shayna the most dangerous opponent she's faced here on Raw, but she's also an insecure bully. Zelina Vega's hanging out. She's just wearing the crown and cape. Baszler, Jimmy Smith notes, is channeling her inner Marco Huas. I thought she was going to start foot stomping here. She kicks away at Dewdrop, but then gets caught with an exploder and a cannonball, but then gets lifted and goes to the Kirafuda clutch. Dewdrop throws her off. Dewdrop misses the crossbody, and the Kirafuda clutch is reapplied, and it's on forever before Dewdrop just kind of like bridges off her back and pins her in two minutes and 47 seconds, bringing the grand total of the Queen's Crown Tournament matches. Six matches going a combined 13 minutes and 48 seconds. Wow. Well, we don't know. Maybe the match on Thursday will go half an hour. Yes, certainly. 60 minute. Yeah, I I mean, I believe this was Shayna's first loss since her renewed push. Oh. Is that right? Sure. And, you know, I I would say that it was... I didn't see her goal, you know, facing Zelina Vega in the final. So you had to kind of get your way out of this one. And if they had to book Shayna to lose a match and still deliver a bit of a finish to give Dewdrop something heading into the, those finals, I, I don't, I don't think this was the worst way of doing it. They are you know? both going to SmackDown, so you can continue this. That's right. You're right. So it was a uh, relatively, I would say, protective of Shayna Baszler. If you're again not ideal, but not the worst either. So. It was a brief match. I would actually like to see these second two. longest of the tournament <laughs> way. Not yeah. that brief. It's too bad because, like, I think what we got to see here looked really good between these two. I would love to see a, a longer match on a pay per view at some point. What? What do you? Um, who do you expect to win? Do drop. Yeah, I think so too. The Yas Queen. Yas Queen. Yes. Nikki Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley uh, meet with Bianca Belair and they welcome her to Raw. By giving her a raw baseball hat that no human being would wear in public. Yeah, I think it's going right into the trash. Belair literally said, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> Wouldn't she have had one the last time she was here, like a year ago? 
Oh, that's true. I mean, it was, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe this is a brand new, um, uh, new logo. it's a fitted cap this time. Mm. Although I don't think it was, it'd be very hard for her to wear a fitted cap with the braid. Jimmy Smith, uh, big no-no here. He plugged next week the season debut of Raw and Corey Gray. You could hear Vince McMahon here just scream, no, Jimmy, it's the season premiere of Raw, you idiot. Not the season debut, it's the season premiere. Someone could be confused at what this means next week. You know what season premiere means? Jack shit in comparison to the season debut. That's what it means next week. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Jimmy Smith, one day he's going to... I think Jimmy Smith is too much of a pro, but the I, I, I long for the day that play-by-play guy's there and we just get the, the meltdown on air. Oh, I mean, I could imagine the conversation after the show in private. Finn Balor versus Mace. Mm-hmm. Finn Balor versus Mace. <laughs> Hour three, Xavier Woods comes out, does the exact same thing we just saw Zelina Vega do, puts on all the the cape and the. It, there's an edict when the, there's a King of the Ring match, you have to come out and you got to stare at this thing, you, like you're at the the window at at Macy's and you're just staring at what's on sale. Well, how else do you know what they're gonna fight for? Oh my God, it's just it's such a pattern. Crowd is totally dead here for Mace. They probably had no idea who this guy was. He hit a sidewalk slam. Balor with the double stomp does his whole comeback sling blade drop kick coup de grace two forty five he won did I miss anything? Nope. Stare down with Xavier Woods and Kofi came out. Does Kofi have to do the whole trip to Saudi Arabia just to be in his corner? It's a great question. Yeah, I, I don't know what other matches or he would be in. Um, I hope he gets a nice know. a nice payday if he's got to do that whole trip for corner duty. Yeah, yeah, but. Not much to speak of in the match. It was just a showcase for Balor, leading to the stare down between the two finalists here. Yeah, this is uh, this was uh, Finn Balor's. Oh, let's get this right. This is his arrival on Raw because he was on SmackDown, and Mace is he's on one of the shows. I think he's T Bar's on the other. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. Anyway, so you had here like Woods do some trash talking to Balor. He's like he called. He specifically says, "You're gonna stay a prince." Artist formerly known as. I didn't even put the whole Prince thing together. Yeah. With That's actually pretty king. good. Yeah. So do you have a prediction for this? Um, I don't look at this as... A, like, I look at the King of the Ring as... What's the most, like, material we can get for a character? Who's going to who's gonna wear the crown after this? Yeah. So I could see it being Woods. Um, with Balor, it's like, okay, he can be King Balor. Does that do anything? Is that of any note? I don't think it does a whole lot for either, but I could see more ideas for an Xavier Woods character than I do a Balor. And I think that's the only value of this King What of the are the ideas? Deal. Like for a baby face? I mean, it's typically, typically a heel gimmick to walk well, around maybe, with a king. Well, maybe he now becomes more of this... Uh, maybe he adopts an accent. Maybe he... Um, I don't Booker? know. I actually, I actually think it'll be Balor. Okay. You know, I think I think there's more emotional story there for Woods to, you know, after following a heartbreak, and I think you can actually break off and to do that. And maybe Balor wins, and Woods gets to play Jerry Lawler and break the chair over his back. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, the ba- Balor is already like the Demon King, so I suppose the Demon gets to <laughs> oh, wear yeah. the crown. Yeah. Well. 
do both of them become king? I think so. Yeah. Well, it depends on who wrestles the match. Well, the, the demon still, I think, has a sprained ankle from the last pay-per-view, so he's oh, nursing that. Be. John Morrison is meditating. The Viking Raiders come in and ask him what he's doing. He's searching for his reason in this company. A mystical force. I, I like come to think of it. I, I think. Do you think we'll get the demon in Saudi Arabia? It's a big enough show, big enough um, stage. Maybe, yeah. Because otherwise, it's like Balor versus Woods is an okay, attractive match, but it hardly feels like it's that big of a deal. And does it with, have to be a really quick match then with with, with the demon? You just have him run through Woods. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Anyway, they just talk about Chi, and we're like, what's going on here? Um, Three people just just look aimless here. I'm a little disappointed they just dropped that water gimmick here. You know, it's completely gone, and in in favor of what? Like this kind of character. This character is circling the drain. Yeah, seriously. Like it's just like, oh, look at this weirdo. Like this weird Buddhist mystical guy. I know it's a silly comparison, but like, look at. Two guys who their partners have been not available in The Miz and Darius Martin. <laughs> and just like the different focus on like with Morris is like, oh, you don't have your partner. You're completely worthless to us. Oh, my God. Darius Martin wouldn't even be used on Dante Martin wouldn't even be used on the show. You know, he'd be like a pilot. He's from top flight, like an airline attendant or something. Charlotte, hey, we haven't even talked about that, is getting from Riyadh to Wichita, Kansas on Friday night. This will be the one oh. time of the year that um, people will be, I guess, paying attention to Flight Tracker. I suppose so, yeah. But, I mean, I think the roster is split enough that they could probably still, like, I'm sure they're accounting for the worst, you know? I mean, not not the worst, but, like. They're accounting for if I, I think you have to always go into it. It's like this is a possibility. We yeah. should be ready for it. We shouldn't be caught and <laughs> we can't just bring up the NXT team this time. No, not this time. No. But you're right. There's enough people back here that I think you could uh but it's still it would be not ideal. But it's not like mm-hmm. Wichita I say it because Wichita, Kansas, like not exactly a travel hub. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, no we're not talking about flight. Chicago or something. Yeah, no I mean they're on from Riyadh to Wichita. Well, I mean they're going to be on a private jet. They're not. They're not flying commercial to. Are they fly like? Oh, okay. So they they can fly the whole roster. One of those tr- deals, like the chartered deals. They usually charter a a, a jet to oh. or a fly or a plane to go over there. Well, that's nice. Charlotte Flair Bianca Belair is the main event for the Raw Women's Championship. Uh, this match had, a, I think, I counted them all forty nine moonsaults. Yeah, sure. Why not? There were a lot of moonsaults. Uh, both went for handspring versions. Um, so early on here, this was my detective work for the whole match was Charlotte's mouth, because my first inclination was looks like a bloody mouth. And then you're looking closer, and it's like, the ref never puts the gloves on. I was like, is that lipstick? And I think my conclusion was it was blood. It looked like blood to me. I thought it was blood. They did go up close to her, like, later in the match, and it certainly looked like blood. But it looked- I never... I, usually, you always see the ref put, like, the gloves on to check when they're... I never saw that in, in the match, so anyway. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, I think it was blood, or at least it looked like it, and... I thought it really added to how deranged and psychotic it made Charlotte look in the match. I it kind it of great. reminded me of like Chelsea Green's character. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, so Flair lands on her feet from a moonsault and then hits the standing version, the Andrade spot, which looked really nice. And then got hit with a spine buster by Bel Air. And Charlotte rolls to the floor. The camera is up close on her for, oh, shit. Just just gave it right to us. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, And then they replayed it. And you got it again with the sound of it as well. So anyway, I mean, shit is clearly, um, they can get away with it on Raw. Flair hits a moonsault to the floor, laying out Bel Air. The natural selection gets blocked. Flair then avoids getting hit with the braid, and Bel Air lifts her for the KOD. Flair holds onto the rope, snaps her neck on the top rope, and then spears Bel Air for a two count. The audience pops, drags her by the braid. Corey Graves is comparing this to Fury and Wilder. <laughs> She misses another moonsault off the top, and Belair rotates her over with a released German landing on her front. Another near fall, and Belair is aghast that the woman has kicked out. She hits a sunset bomb for another two count, and with that, Charlotte grabs a chair and hits her, and this 20-minute match ends in a DQ, and then Belair takes the chair, gets in one shot, and we just end the show. Part of this match for me is like, Maybe this is going to be a really good match, but I I will bet the bank that we are getting a bullshit finish. Now, where they swerved me way was that I assumed I assumed Becky and Sasha were going to show up here. And instead, we got an even worse one with just this lame chair shot at the end of it. So, there you go. Well, I mean, the, the, to me, they swerved us by giving us a, an actual finish for Becky versus Sasha on Friday. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't do it here, and it was very disappointing for me because I thought this was a great match up until the end here. These two were fantastic together. They really got the crowd into it. Um, Their chemistry you know. as these mirror images in terms of ability, we've seen bits and pieces of it throughout their interactions, but I think we saw really like at we saw it at, at its best here. So I don't doubt these two are going to continue to be career rivals in the same way Bianca has already established something with Sasha. I think Bianca and, and Charlotte is it's it's a it's a it's it's going to be a, a series of wonderful combinations, and they were building towards this. I think being one of those matches that might actually get talked about for some time until the unfortunate finish, and I I thought there was a real chance that they were going to do a title switch tonight, just kind of given the whole situation with her holding the Raw belt and moving to SmackDown and everything, but um they decided to go the route of delay delay you know i i thought when they were pushing charlotte with like bringing up like it's a conspiracy it's a conspiracy i thought like okay here's some great ammunition for her to lose tonight and and go with this like this conspiracy against her on smackdown afterward now after watching this um do you how do you see this title thing shaking up does that change your expectation for uh crown jewel in terms of who comes out with the title Mm, okay, meaning does Becky just keep the title and they just swap belts? Is that what happens? They could do anything. I don't have much of a prediction. Um I don't necessarily see it. Could it be Bianca could Bianca win if she's going to stick on SmackDown and then they do that trade? Um I mean, I'm I'm actually thinking Becky keeps it and they just do the lame trade. So they can do whatever they want and come up with whatever explanation to swap the belt. It doesn't really matter, but I, I really like the match up until the finish and, you know, a really unfortunate 
generic ending, basically just kind of ending the match. So that was Raw going into Crown Jewel, and our card for Thursday is Mansoor versus Mustafa Ali, Hell in a Cell with Edge and Seth Rollins. Are you high on that match? I am. Yeah, I mean, these two have had great matches so far, and being in a Hell in a Cell, I'm sure creatively they'll have a lot of interesting ideas. So Probably I, the longest match on the show. Yeah, because it's not going to be Goldberg, hopefully. It's not going to be Lesnar. Maybe Becky and Bianca and Sasha, you know, that might be a bit of a longer one too. But I think we know Edge and Seth have the capability of probably going. I think they're going to go long. long. Like I'm yeah. expecting like 25 to 30 for that one. Uh, Zelina, Vega, and Dewdrop, which if it's consistent, uh, will not be long. Finn Balor, Xavier Woods in the King of the Ring final. Goldberg Lashley, as Way said, I think uh, shorter the better on that one. But um, we will see what we get out of that one. Biggie and Drew McIntyre. For the WWE title, RK Bro against AJ and Omos, Becky, Bianca Belair, and Sasha Banks for the SmackDown Women's title, and Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. My question to you, Way, uh, do we get a finish in Reigns Lesnar? Oh boy. Yeah. Reigns and Lesnar. Hmm. This one to me screams uh sports entertainment finish. Oh, no doubt. Like with all the Heyman stuff, I mean, Heyman um, posted on Instagram and not, not to say like, you know, we look towards Instagram as any sort of indication, but he did one of his spoiler alert things talking about how he will, he will be leaving Saudi Arabia with the WWE universal champion. So, uh, take that for what you will. There will be some drama there. There will be some shenanigans on his part. And the buildup has been very good. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I, I honestly, like, I really hate to say it because I think we all know the nature of these shows, but on paper, I think this looks like a good card, you know, just completely objectively looking at, at, at what's there. And for me, that's because every match at least has some stakes attached to it. Um, can't say I'm all that excited about the tag team match between Arkery Bro and Adrian Omos, but everything else, you know, we're at least going to see a direction for this Queen's Crown thing. The King of the Ring winners going to be there. Uh, probably a very good match in a hell and a cell between Edge and Rollins. Goldberg Lashley, I think, has been built up well. Uh, Biggie, Drew McIntyre, you know, it's it's been a very standard build, but I think the match feels big between these two. And Becky, Bella, Becky Bianca, and Sasha Banks, I think, will be a, a very good match, too. And Monsoon. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of it will hinge on the crowd engagement for a lot of these shows. Like, sometimes the, the shows, like, have not had great crowd response to them um right you know, it, it's a pretty big big show though that they have built up this is bigger than your typical you know b show for a wwe this is a big card for them let's go to forum.postwrestling.com where you can always drop your feedback after each show way tonight's raw generated a score of 3.55 out of 10 yeah yeah i mean if you're looking at these finishes and the content of the show, I mean, I can see people being upset. Uh, not 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 a whole lot of finishes or such to really um, sink your teeth into. I thought this was a uh, a raw on the lower end that, um, well, sometimes you get. We, yeah, we did I, get some longer matches on this show, certainly. There were quite I, a lot. It was not the uh, short match formula that we saw last week. I mean, I really did enjoy Bianca versus Charlotte, but I mean, the finish just kind of tarnishes it and really, you know, gives you no reason to want to go back and rewatch it, unfortunately. 
Ryan from New Jersey writes, good tag match between RK-Bro and the Street Profits until the DQ finish. Good main event between Charlotte and Bianca until the DQ finish. Look forward to your Crown Jewel review as I continue to not watch these shows. He calls these the blood money shows. Hope they don't have any flight delays coming home from SmackDown. Gonna, oh man, I'm going to say Brandon for later here. We go to Alex from Portland who says, tag team match featuring the champs ends in a DQ. Women's title match ends in a DQ. Another Queen's Crown match going in less than three minutes. Perhaps my biggest takeaway from the show is that Bill Goldberg is going to travel to Saudi Arabia to kill a man. Goldberg must have had a presence because this crowd felt very dead at times, especially during the Bianca Charlotte promo. That ending was atrocious, but I really feel for the fans that attended live. You sit through three hours of selfies, promos, and underwhelming tournament matches, and then you get a main event title match that ends in a DQ. Not just that, but you're left with questions surrounding the champion since she's moving to the other show on Friday. Will this champion who just lost via DQ get stripped? Will she exchange her belt with the winner from Crown Jewel? Is this really how WWE envisions women's wrestling? It's how they envision all of their wrestling. I mean, that situation of like belts getting traded and such, it's it's... They did it. Like there's the, we, we joke about the swapping of the titles because that's the precedent they created the last time with yeah. the tag belts. So it's like, yeah, that's what they do in these situations. Um, I just think it's just it's so interesting just to watch the. I don't know. I just don't think it cuts it anymore to like imagine building up for like a big match all show long. And it's like that's your out at the end of it. And it's. Yeah, I think for a long time, you just, well, it's TV. You can get away with it. It's, I, I think it becomes very tiresome and just such a groan when you you build this up all match. You get 20 minutes, and that's that's your your final message at the end of the show. Very, very flat. And, and like, you know, like with the, with the Shayna loss, like there are ways. I understand if you don't want to have the belts change right before the match. But you can have Bianca Belair lose and I think still have her feel protected and as a real legitimate contender going into Thursday. I, I feel. I mean, people would be upset if they did that too. But then again, like maybe they shouldn't have booked this match. But then they also need these sort of attractive main events. So I, I don't know. Would had a non-title match have have worked as well in your well, opinion, it's, John? It goes to the principle of it is that you wanted something big on this show. So for a week, you promoted Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair for the title. When your audience is more and more educated to not care because you know what you're getting. So you're, the whole point of this exercise is mute because it's there's no payoff to it. And there's a reason why Becky and Sasha gets promoted. And guess what? It, it really didn't deliver the number that I think they intended to. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, people like me, I, I think fully expected a bullshit finish. But it's too bad. It's too bad. Um, but, you know, at least the content between the, the bell was very solid tonight. Like Next it? we go to, uh, I think I'm up here. Muggin writes, WWE always makes the simplest solution so hard. Bianca and Charlotte shut it down for most of the main event up until the DQ. It all but guarantees a lazy title trade taking place once Crown Jewel is in the rear view. Not to mention the Queen's Crown being an abject failure from the start. The women's roster has some great talent, but the booking under the main event level reeks of laziness. Where do we go from here? What a what an open-ended question. Finally, we got a Kate from Montreal who says, if the WWE wants to end middling matches with DQs or countouts or whatever the other shenanigans they enjoy, I'm willing to let them. But I really dislike having good matches, ones where the talent are working their butts off, 
in that way. Street Profits, RK Bro, and especially Char- Charlotte and Bianca were the victims tonight. Although Shayna versus Dewdrop had the potential to be an excellent match, there was no reason to waste it on the Queen's Crown Tournament. I have a feeling that, that Vega is going to win for no other reason than some people thinking that it's funny that Queen Zelina kind of rhymes. <laughs> I don't Guys, know. we've got a great idea. <laughs> and she could be very right. Queen Zelina. That's, I mean, that's a real stretch, but yeah, maybe. What, what, what about the Queen of the C-Block? Maybe that crown is at stake on Thursday as well. Ooh, okay, yeah. Is Kate the new Queen of the C-Block? I don't know. I'm not sure. We Well... We'll we'll find out. It's really between um, Kate and Brad, the archivist, for the crown. So we shall see. She asked, what realistically, i.e. no cutting it down to two hours, do you think could happen to make Raw into a better show? Long, long-term storytelling, an idea of directions of where we're going in one month, four months, six months, uh, isolating matches with finishes. I think that would be a start. Um, I think you can look at like what is working to a pro wrestling fan on on U.S. television, uh, but I think that would admit that someone is doing pro wrestling better than us. Uh, I think on top of it, it would be there are a lot of, of reasons, a lot of ways we can there, make the show better. There are a lot of different ways. It's not of just where the you three hours that's really holding it back. I mean, three hours of this type of show, I think, is really holding it back. But can you imagine if Rampage was a three-hour show, or sorry, Dynamite was a three-hour show? That would be exhausting, but I also think overall, by the end of it, hopefully they would take their time a little bit more. But I think we, you'd probably leave that quality of show using AEW's booking philosophies and their style of presenting matches pretty satisfied. Yeah, I, I, would, I would not want to entertain that, but um, yeah, it would. I mean, it, like there was a time like th- those three hour nitros like they there was a time that those those worked and they did really well, like. 1998 was the year they not only expanded Nitro to three hours at the beginning of the year, but added a whole other two-hour show during the week. And it was their most profitable, not just their most profitable year, it was the most profitable year for any wrestling company in history in 1998. Now, there was a crash after that, but 1998, they expanded and they had a, they had a, a hot program. But I, I think by and large, I think... I think three hours would be... I would have more concerns on the AEW side of of a burnout factor for someone like a Tony Khan if he was commanded with doing three hours uh, and another two on Friday. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for your feedback. We are going to sign off. Uh, We are back on Wednesday for our second-to-last G1 show, and then Thursday, a show covering both Crown Jewel and the G1 finals as it all winds down the, the other long and winding Royal road. This one of the G1 after 19 shows way, we're almost there. Almost there, almost there towards the finish line. And uh, on Thursday, we will be back to talk about the final as well as crown jewel. All right. Have a good night, everybody. We'll chat with you later on this week. Um, go, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, follow, Davey Portman on Twitter and call a friend that you haven't heard from in a year or two and just say hello. Very specific things. Yeah. I think we should be a little, I think we should have a little more specificity. Okay. I like it. Anything you want to encourage people to do? Yeah. um, Put your toilet paper in on the racks 
the front facing way rather than underneath. That is the proper way of doing doing it. Yeah, the, don't be a don't be a crazy person. Yeah. Good night.